please turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Two weeks ago, we studied Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Last week, we studied Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, we'll look at chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and next week we'll finish the chapter. Um, I'd like to begin by reading this section. Paul cries out after a rhapsodic melody of the wisdom and the mercy of God, extolling the Lord for his gifts. He says, Romans chapter 12, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing, by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, this is the church, as in one body we have many members, individuals, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them, if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. In Greek here, you have the Greek word for brotherly love when he says love one another. So, so it's like love one another brotherly with brotherly affection. It's an unusual combination of, of words to, to emphasize this is, this is how we do relationships. If brotherly affection is missing in your home, in your household, um, then... Uh, we need to go to Christ for refreshing in his affection towards us, to be filled up that we overflow. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit or fervent in the Holy Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And then it goes on, we'll cover next week. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. But today, we're looking primarily at our relationships within the body of Christ, which of course naturally overflows outside to those who persecute us. And next week, we'll discuss how sometimes we are persecuted by those within the body of Christ. And we'll look at Christ's response to that persecution from his own brothers. Remember, as we studied Romans 12:1, which begins, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, or because God has been so, so, so merciful to you. Remember, the woman we talked about last week who came to Jesus at the Pharisee's house and washed his feet with her hair and her tears. Because of, that's the, that's the image of this. By the mercies of God, 
do present your body to God in worship. And then in Romans 12, 3 through 13, love one another and bless each other by serving each other with whatever gifts God has given us. The extent to which your whole life is motivated by gratitude is the extent to which your motivation is Christian. The extent to which your whole life is motivated by gratitude is the extent to which your motivation is Christian. Up until now in our study of Romans, we've been talking about our sinfulness and God's grace. It was the kindness of God that led us to or motivated us to repent. And if you think back to your own life, it was the kindness of God that led us to repentance time and time again. In the incarnation, in the person of Jesus Christ, the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation to humankind. It is the grace of God that teaches us to renounce ungodliness and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So it is gratitude for his mercy or his mercy and grace that leads us to the response of Christian living. And holy living is primarily visible or incarnated in our love for one another in relationships. We have become bondservants of Christ so that we can say, none of my possessions is my own. I lay down my rights, my time is his. I give even my very self, and we lay down our lives for one another. The first place to lay down our lives to serve one another is in the long-term committed relationships of our local churches, where we know each other and share our lives with one another, joys and sorrows, failures and success, uncertainty, crises, growth, prayer, meals, life events, regular communication, hope, and the presence of God in our midst. Even the Spirit of Christ, who is manifest among us where two or three are gathered together in his name. All humankind will know we are Christians by our love for one another. Romans 12 teaches us why and how to love one another. It is no less than the roadmap for the Christian life. And all of it comes out of Romans 1 through 11, which may be summarized as God chose lost sinners to be the eternal recipients of his mercy and grace. His own son died for us who don't deserve it. And therefore, nothing can separate us from his love. And his prayers over us will never cease, as it is written in Romans 8, that Jesus is eternally at the right hand of the Father praying for us until his prayers are fulfilled. God is the giver of all good things. And our natural response is the gratitude Paul speaks of in Romans 12.1. I urge you, therefore, by the mercies of God, or because of God's mercy, out of gratitude, too. Gratitude makes us want to offer ourselves to serve him. And the overflow of that is wanting to bless one another with each gift God has given us. And this leads us to our media recommendation for today. If we could get that on the board, please. Uh, I suggest a song by Brandon Lake, L-A-K-E, Brandon Lake, called Gratitude which captures much of the essence of this text and has helped renew my mind in gospel thinking many times. We will find as we examine this section of Romans 12 today that it is gratitude to God and the presence and power of the Holy Spirit living in us that fuels and empowers our love for one another. So Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies as a living sacrifice back to him, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world. Paul says, for you died to these things, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. In what exactly are our minds renewed? Primarily, the scriptures. The scriptures give us gospel-based thinking. The Holy Spirit teaches us truths through the scriptures and through relationships and teaching and discipleship in the church where the gospel has been made manifest to us in relationship. Be, ren uh, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. A possible application of that would be to read our passage in Romans maybe every day as you prepare for the following Sunday so that the scripture is in your heart in advance. If you make a routine of going to the text again and again and again and slowly picking through Romans, this is how I prepare for the messages. I have to read it again and again and again every day as I'm, as I'm studying further. And to not take advantage of our study in Romans by reading Romans along with the rest of the congregation would probably come as a loss to you. I encourage you to do so if you haven't been. Um, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. Last week we said the will of God is good and acceptable or pleasing and perfect. Therefore, it's easy to give up what I want or easier. If you're having a hard time connecting with God, start with gratitude. If God seems far away, start by saying thank you for everything you can think of. This has often been my morning routine. And this, coupled with my eternal hope in Christ, drives my outlook in life. The first two verses of Romans, which you should memorize, contain the key to doing Christian ministry and the key to relationships, as the following verses will bring out. When we are disappointed, rejected, abandoned, and when we suffer, we do not lose heart, even though we may be wasting away. When life and relationships aren't easy, we continue to bless one another because to do so is to bless Christ. Christ is the center of our orientation and the one we ultimately serve. He is the person we are primarily showing love to when we love one another. Our relationships, our love for one another, our attitude toward one another is all rooted in Christ's attitude towards us, Christ's love for us. When Christ came into the world as a light in a dark place, he came to enter our hearts through faith, and it is he who empowers us to do the impossible. And I'm talking about relationships in Christian community. Amen? Amen. It is he who empowers us to love one another. That is why it says, all men you will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Get it? So lots of people have good relationships and they love each other, but their love isn't an, a strikingly unusual, I would say, supernatural love that could only come from people in whom the Spirit of God lives. So the the way the world recognizes that we've been in the presence of God, that we've been with him, that we've been cleansed by his blood and filled with his love is the overflow of our love towards one another. It's something you don't see like that anywhere else. This Christmas, draw on the power of the resurrected Son of God who lives in the hearts of his people. Draw on his love for you. Drink deeply of the free gift of the water of life, 
flowing like a river from his throne. And in us will be fulfilled the words of Jesus, whoever believes in me will never thirst again. Jesus said, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This he said of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of Jesus who lives inside each of his people and empowers us to serve, to love, to bless one another with the gifts God has given us with a supernatural love. We love God not just quietly meditating in our hearts as we worship or pray. We love God by loving one another. We don't love people in accordance with how much they deserve for all the good or all the bad they have done. We love in accordance with the measure of our faith. And the measure of my faith is how unselfishly and deeply I love you. If my love is weak, or if it doesn't stand the test of conflict, offense, and disappointment, then so is my faith. Show me your faith in God by how you love the members of your household and your congregation and your community. Let's go back to verse three. Paul launches into this, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among of you, everyone among you, and before we get to what he says to everyone among us, he says it by the grace given to him. Paul's ministry only exists because of God's grace. Our church only exists because of God's grace. All ministry done here is a gift, is rooted in the gift of God towards us as the people of God. By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, here is the first thing Paul teaches us about what it looks like to live as a Christian, what it looks like to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, what it looks like to be renewed in our mind, what's the first practical outworking of it? Don't have a big head. I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. Um, in our recent teachings by uh, Josiah Maddox on pride, we studied out how, uh, we should, how pride is the opposite of thinking of ourselves with sober judgment. Humility being the opposite of pride teaches us to think of ourselves neither too high nor too low, but with sober judgment. This is where we start in in Christian, Christian behavior, in Christian attitude and mindset. Right after gratitude to God for his mercy and the dramatic realization, my life is not my own, which you have to be renewed, which you have to recommit every morning. You have to recommit yourself to the Lord. You have to acknowledge God in all your ways every morning. The next step, the next uh, the next. Uh, thing that needs to be renewed in our attitude, in our mindset as Christians is to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought, which is super humbling because this teaches us that all of us need to be reminded of that like first thing in the morning. But that's just how it is. So we better accept it and get used to it. To think of ourselves not more highly than we ought to think, but with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It is faith in God or knowing God that makes me realistic about how I should think about myself. For as in one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. First, in this passage, our unity is emphasized in verse five. We, though many individuals are one body, we should say many members 
like arms and legs or eyeballs or ears or hands or feet. Though, though many different parts of the body, we are one body in Christ. We're not one body because we have the same doctrine. We're not one body because we're, we've grown accustomed to agreeing to disagree. We're one body because of his presence in our midst. He is the one who brings all things together under one head, who is Christ. Christ is our head, we are his body. That's what gives us Christian unity. Next, our diversity is emphasized in verse six, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And then he lifts all these gifts. It is the delight and pleasure of God to create a world with so many variegated creatures from uh, the wonders of the botanical world to the spectrum of, uh, of all of biology, all living things, from spiders to, and slugs and bugs to zebras and antelopes and deer. It's a picture of God's delight in uh, painting the canvas of his creation with all kinds of things which are for his glory. And when we look at something in creation that makes us draw back a little bit or, or that repulses us, um, perhaps a mature response, if we ha could have it, would be to glorify God for delighting in the diversity, all the diversity he has made. And when we see God's delight in diversity, it opens our mind to accept one another who we have all kinds of different personalities, all kinds of different maturity levels, backgrounds, uh, ways of doing things, culture, and our, our response to the delight of God in creating a diversified world, but one world, is to delight in glorifying God when we live in harmony with one another, appreciating that God delights in making the many individuals different one. And that is what we see in the purpose of the gifts. So what are these gifts? The Holy, simply put, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. If you grew up in church, you probably know about spiritual gifts, uh, not just the fruit of the Spirit, but, but spiritual gifts. And that's uh, and uh, some of them are named in this passage. So what's going on here is that God supernaturally gives special giftings or talents or empowerments or aptitudes to Christians. All Christians get them. There is much debate in the church about uh, how exactly they work. You may have heard that uh, when you become a Christian, you have a gift. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's uh, giving. Maybe it's uh, uh, exhortation. Maybe it's serving. And how do you find out what your gift is? Well, you try it out, and if it works, then that's your gift. Maybe you've heard such a teaching. Um, you may also have heard, perhaps here, that, uh, that God is not restricted to giving each Christian a gift or a, a, a cluster of gifts, and then uh, that is static but that we should earnestly pursue spiritual gifts, Paul says, and especially that you should prophesy. Mm -hmm. So, there are better teachings on spiritual gifts than we will have here today. Um, but two points I want to make. Uh, if we could get the slide, Austin, for the, uh, the link to, uh, uh, to the GCF teaching on spiritual gifts, I would direct you there, please, for a further study of the gifts themselves. Today we're looking at the reasons and the purpose for the gifts and what brings the gifts together. Um, and if we could please post that in the comments section of the live stream too so everybody can see it. Thank you for that. Two points on the gifts. Um, one, we need to identify our gifting and use it to serve. And two, all of our gifts are different because it was God's pleasure to not give each one of us everything we need. So you have what I need, I have what you need, you have 
what she and he need, and God, one, God's good pleasure in bringing the body of Christ together is to not make every person an island and to not give us all we need. There's no such thing as Christianity where I can do Christianity alone. I can't be a Christian alone because I literally don't have the gifts that I need to be empowered, to receive grace, to follow Christ as I should. I literally have to have you in my life. Sometimes Christians are isolated from one another beyond our control. That's a separate issue. For us, we have to find a way, however we can, to be united with one another in relationship and community. Because if we aren't, then all of us suffer together, or rather all of us suffer separately. It was God's pleasure to give each person some of the gifts that the other people need to draw us together to him so that we are united in him. It's brilliant, really. It's part of God's plan to create Christian community. I love it. It is necessary for us to identify the gifts that God, that the Holy Spirit has distributed to us by practicing them and, and trying to develop them and by earnestly desiring more spiritual gifts and, and practicing or honing our, our talent and our maturity in exercising our spiritual gifts. So look at verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Look back at verse six. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith. And then back in verse three, it says, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Why faith? What's faith got to do with it? Why do we have to exercise, why do we have to have faith to exercise these gifts for serving one another? Because relationships are hard. It is hard to serve each other. When we do, we sometimes get burned, spurned, or disappointed. Therefore, it takes faith in our Father to love with a supernatural love that serves and gives and exhorts and trusts and perseveres in accordance with the strength God provides. Verse 6, prophecy. Let's start there. What is this talking about? This is a hotly debated topic in the church, and we will answer it right here and now. What is the difference between prophecy, here that Paul says is a gift for some Christians and that everybody should desire or ask God for and step out in, what's the difference between prophecy as we might hear a prophecy given if somebody stands up in a worship service today and says under the leading and empowerment of the Holy and direction of the Holy Spirit, I feel that God would say to us and then gives a word of prophecy for the congregation in, in the worship service. What's the difference between that prophecy and the prophecy of Ezekiel or, or Isaiah or Obadiah? we can answer this. Prophecy is, at its core, speaking the word of God via the inspiration and calling of the Holy Spirit. In this sense, New Testament prophecy is identical to Old Testament prophecy. I'm reading my Reformation Study Bible note. Uh, the notes are very good. So, one group of Christians, one camp, says there's no more prophecy because to say there's prophecy now and that that prophecy actually is a word from the Lord is 
probably closer to blasphemy than anything else because it suggests that, well, we have the inerrant and completed scriptures as the foundation for our faith and practice. Now you're saying, well, anybody can get up and prophesy and can claim that they have a word from the Lord. So if that's a prophecy from the Lord and Isaiah's prophecy is a prophecy from the Lord, the problem is you're going, you may start to elevate your personal interpretation of your prophetic utterance given to you up to the level of the word of God. And that would be a dangerous thing if that were a logical criticism. That criticism is fundamentally flawed. The way to rightly think about that criticism, to think about prophecy today versus, or rather with, prophecy in the scripture is that the Holy Spirit oversaw the speaking of the prophets, their prophetic utterances, and he sealed it. And as the scripture says, he still speaks. Does he not? We do not exalt what we think we heard from God to the level where it trumps the scripture. That would be heresy or blasphemy or, or, or that would easily get us into error. Probably the best way, and I think how Paul is telling us to think about prophecy is to think of it as a gift. All of these gifts are from the Holy Spirit and to be used in the church. If one serves, are they going to serve perfectly? Well, of course not. You're probably going to get burned out now and then. You'll probably need like uh, some R&R. You need to go to the scripture and be renewed in the attitude of your mind and read Romans 12, 7. If service in our serving, okay, I have the gift of serving. I I need to use this gift in serving people. And you have to remember how and learn all over again how Uh, I was made to be a servant of God and God served me by sending his son into the world to wash my feet and cleanse me with his blood. So I therefore will go serve one another. And renewing, being renewed in the attitude of our mind in this scripture, uh, we learn how to serve again. Our service is imperfect. Our prophecy should not be presumed to be above reproach in all circumstances but the gift of prophecy is from the Lord and he still speaks. Verse eight. Um, I wrote the wrong number. Just a second. Uh, Verse nine. Let love be genuine. Mm. That hits close to home because it's so easy to go through the motions. Our temptation as Christians is to put on a mask like we're actors in a play and to think as long as I acted out rightly, as long as I'm nice or whatever, even if I am harboring whatever is the opposite of that in my heart, that I've still uh, behaved like a Christian. See, this is a reference to, uh, this is like saying, let love be without hypocrisy. So what is a hypocrite? Uh, I don't know how to pronounce the Greek word, but it's hypocrites, right? It's where the word hypocrite in English comes from. Uh, uh, Hypocrites is, that's what they called an actor. An actor in a play would, uh, would wear a mask. Now we pay people the big bucks to be really good at altering their expression and crying when it's time to cry and smiling genuinely when it's time to smile genuinely. And so the best actors are believable actors when you watch a television show. In Greek tradition, uh, theater was popular and, and, uh, and they would wear masks. So you've seen the, the, the sad mask next to the, the happy mask side by side as a symbol of comedy and tragedy. The Greek actors wore masks so that people would find it easy to know how they were supposed to feel or what to expect in the story, right? And, and an actor was called a hypocrite, right? They're, they're under a mask. So our love, if it's given just, just to go through the motions, with no 
grateful response to the mercy of God for me with no empowerment of the Holy Spirit, His love for me overflowing from me to you, and vice versa. When our, our, our behavior towards one another is reduced to strictly going through the motions and pretending to love each other, it's not Christian behavior. When I put on a smile in order to deceive you, and this is not my custom, I'm just saying, when I put on a smile in order to deceive you, to think I like you, or to keep up appearances, there's nothing Christian about that. May the Lord show us, everybody does this sometimes, may the Lord show us when we are doing this so that we can stop it. Nothing good will come from that. There's nothing Christian about pretending to love one another. There is a time, of course, to hold our tongues or to take a step back and to, uh, to, to be renewed in the image of our Creator. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Part of the renewal of our minds is to practice and pray for God to make us love what he loves and hate what he hates. You've, you've heard it said from the pulpit, uh, the, the re oft-repeated prayer, God, help me love what you love and hate what you hate. This is a good thing to pray for and a good application of this scripture because God will answer your prayer. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. I'm not supposed to name names, and I was trying to decide whether to embarrass you, but I guess I won't. So there are two or three people in the church that I think of every time I read this verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. Um, there are some uh, fellow Christians who stand out in outdoing each other with showing honor. This is the opposite of selfish ambition and the competition that is motivated by selfish ambition. So Paul here is not, the Holy Spirit in this scripture is not saying don't be competitive. Some competition may be good when rightly motivated and rightly applied. Competition for selfish gain and nothing but is nothing more than selfish ambition. And whether it's selfish ambition, there's disorder in every evil practice. If you're competitive, you can still be competitive. I'm extremely competitive. Um, outdo one another in showing honor. I love having a conversation with, I'm thinking of a couple people, because I feel so honored every time they talk to me. And it's like touching. And it makes me want to outdo them in showing honor to them. That's a Christian motivation. You're not trying to be better than them or prove yourself better or something. No, that's a non-Christian motivation. Um, moving on. Do not be slothful. Well, let me finish that thought. Imitate those people as they imitate Christ. They are given to us as examples for the flock. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit or fervent in the spirit. There must be no hesitation or sloth in Christian love. We are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to forgive, fervent in the Spirit. I believe that's the Holy Spirit here. Fervent in spirit, I don't think here just means I gotta be real zealous because I can muster up some energy uh, in my spirit. I believe this is talking about the Holy Spirit living in me, energizing me. And the application thereof is especially in how we love. When we're quick to forgive, instead of when we harbor that resentment thing that tends to want to rise up inside of us, especially when those, usually those closest to you, or maybe you're pastor uh, offends you in the same way. You get tired of it, and you start to put up walls, you start to harden yourself, and then when it's time to forgive them or to overlook their offenses, uh, we, we, we vindicate ourselves, and we build something like a secure place for ourselves inside that, and we give them tit for tat. We give them what they deserve. We withhold love 
there, all of that mindset has to be done away with. It must be torn down. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit, serving the Lord. Serving the Lord is expressed largely in how quick we are to forgive one another and how quick we are to pass over each other's offenses and how quick we are to listen. We can't be slow about it. Meditate on this in your closest relationships and find if you have become slothful in your love. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. The early Christian church was known for an eagerness to contribute to the needs of the saints. It was known for its hospitality to Christians. The modern church sometimes is known for that, but I'm sure you've spoken with people who have said, I don't like Christians because they're, and it's, it's usually they're hypocrites or they're self-righteous. They're more concerned with looking good in front of others. Kind of reminds you of how you know, Jesus blasted the Pharisees for that. So Jesus blasted the Pharisees for that, and others outside the church are criticizing uh, Christians, or people who are churchgoers at least, for that. This must be undone. And these things can only be undone through prayer. Some of the self-righteousness, the, the egoism, the, the jealousy, the pride that, uh, that has taken hold in Christendom, or at least among churchgoers, um, has grown deep and has grown odious even to the world. Odious means smelly, like it reeks. And, and this should not be the reputation of Christians. The Holy Spirit will be pleased to undo this reputation and to renew the church as the gospel fills us with renewed generosity towards one another, a reputation for generosity, and a reputation for hospitality. Practice these things. Eagerly desire the opportunity to be hospitable to one another. That's going to look a little different during the COVID season, maybe, but, uh, but you'll work it out. Exercising these gifts. Mm. Let me go back. Verse 8 um, the, the main consideration in using spiritual gifts to bless each other is, how may I bless you today? It's like those buttons that people wear, how may I serve you today? Have you ever seen one of those? That should be the badge on your life. Everyone should know us by our love for one another and desire to bless each other. In fact, our love for one another is the test, according to the Apostle John, of our faith. James, the brother of Christ, wrote in his epistle that practical love is the measure of one's faith. And here in Romans 12, Paul is explaining that the mark of a Christian is gratitude for God's mercy that motivates us to serve one another and bless one another by using our gifts to build each other up in love. Exercising gifts is all connected to Christ's inexpressible gift discussed in Romans 12.1 and in the last uh, chapters of 11. Of course, all the rest of Romans, especially Romans 8. Colossians 1.16 says, all things were created through him and for him. Romans 11.36 says, from him and through him and to him are all things. 2 Corinthians 9.14, which will be our benediction today, says, the surpassing grace of God is upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And in Colossians 1.3, we see a little window into Paul's soul, the writer of this, this epistle. He says, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. This book, Romans, is written by a Christian brother who always thanks God. Therefore, gratitude, the extent to which our life is motivated by gratitude, is the extent to which our motivation is Christian. Our giving is not dependent on the recipient. We do not hold back because the person isn't worth it or doesn't deserve it. 
We give because he gave to us precisely when we did not deserve it. And in fact, though we are worth God's love, that doesn't mean we deserve God's love. We love because he first loved us, loved us. And we love in a smaller way, just like he loves us. He loves us because we're worth it, but not because we deserve it. We love each other not because we know our brothers and sisters in Christ won't let us down. Of course we will, sometimes. But we love others because they are worth it, not for their worthiness. Do you see the difference? Therefore, I can simultaneously take my sin to God in confession, be disgusted by it, and in the same moment, know that I am perfectly acceptable in God's sight and feel it because I am beloved for the sake of Christ who took away my sin. That's how the gospel works. That's why the gospel works. That's how the steadfast love of the Lord can keep on going and going and going. It never stops. His love never fails. It is a well that cannot run dry. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And so our hope does not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts through faith. Our faith is in his faithfulness, not in our own worthiness. And when God declares in the prophets that he has loved me with an everlasting love, I take that to the bank and cash it in. His check is good. It doesn't bounce. I find time after time that the love of God will not let me go. The love of God never fails, never gives up, never runs out on me. And this builds my faith. This passage in Romans tells us how to take that faith and invest in others in the body of Christ by exercising our gifts out of love in proportion with our faith. So we don't hold back just because we've been disappointed in the past. We love, we give, we keep on giving without expecting to get anything back. We lend expecting nothing in return. And our reward will be great and we will be called sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, therefore, as your heavenly Father is merciful. That's why we forgive. That's why we prophesy. That's why we serve, why we teach, why we exhort why we contribute generously to the needs of others, why we cheerfully have mercy on those who are still in the middle of wronging us. And it brings glory to the one who had mercy on us while we were still hostile to God. Just like David teaches in Psalm 51 that every sin is first and foremost a sin against God, when he says, against you and you only have I sinned, well, we know he kind of sinned against Uriah, he had him killed, and against Bathsheba, he stole her to have her for himself and had her husband done away with. And Paul and David prays in uh, Psalm 51, against you and you only have I sinned. Just like David teaches in Psalm 51 that every sin is first and foremost a sin against God, so every expression of love that we give first and foremost is an act of returning love toward God for the love he gave us. The love of Christ compels us. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, Christ, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. And that is, in fact, what God is doing 
when we exercise our spiritual gifts to serve one another in love. We are mediating the presence of God, not just into the world, but first into the church. So when you love and serve those who have wounded or abandoned you in the church, when you love and serve and forgive and minister to the members of your family, when you do the hard work of working out conflict and tearing down pride and passing over sins and offenses, it is God loving that person and you will be rewarded for it. We're going to skip the next couple of pages of conclusion because we're a little over time here. But because he is the source of my life and my love, I, we are empowered to love one another with the same love with which he loved us. Your flesh says you can't, but the Holy Spirit in you says you can. And it starts with gratitude for his inexpressible gift. At this time, please let the communion ministers come forward and as they're doing that, we're going to close in prayer. Righteous Father, there is no fault in you. We ask now that you would send your spirit to lead us and build us up in the daily habit of remembering this gospel, of acknowledging you by coming to you in gratitude that leads to praise, that leads to love. We pray that you would fill our hearts with gratitude for your inexpressible gift and that you would remind and renew us in your presence and in your washing by the Holy Spirit and by these scriptures and by the gospel contained therein every day. Amen.